Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Tonis here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And you may have noticed with the classic entrance that I am now classically by myself without Mount Makoa, the Australian uh, volcanic island, as I like to, to joke. Mark K from Australia and Seabred Fred are both doing holiday type things over this holiday week. And I decided I would just record a singular show. My daughter's laughing next to me because I just recorded the same show 20 minutes ago and had to redo it because I noticed my mic quality was awful and it just sounded terrible. So I I did that for you, though, because I care and I love you all. So first, uh, I guess we can't even start a podcast without doing a COVID update. And the good news for the Bulls is almost everyone is back. By the next game, the Bulls should basically have everyone who matters back from COVID at least. And the only guy who I think should be out is Alex Caruso with a sore foot. Uh, Caruso is out seven to 10 days, I think from the 21st. The Bulls have three games over that stretch that he might miss, uh, one against Indiana, two against Atlanta. Atlanta should be without Trey Young and Danilo Gallinari due to health and safety protocols. We'll see how that goes. Oh, excuse me, with those guys. And maybe... Maybe they'll be back early. The league seems like it's moving towards changing some of the way they view health and safety protocols, and that those announcements may come down over the this stretch, and maybe those guys will actually be able to suit up and play based on that. But we'll just have to wait and see how the news goes. Uh, clearly, I think from a Crusoe perspective, it would be great to allow him to rest as much as possible and not aggravate this injury. Uh, I don't know that this injury was caused because he came back early from the hamstring injury. You know, a lot of times when you see these repeated lower body injuries, they feel like they're compensatory because you're compensating from one thing and not quite moving how you should, and then you get hurt with something else. That seems like a common trend. Again, maybe that's not the case. This could have just been a freak thing, but just give Crusoe the time to rest if he needs to rest, and I think uh, that would be my choice, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, From a COVID perspective, it'll be interesting to see what the league does. They seem like they are going to try to move back towards relaxing some of their standards, maybe letting asymptomatic guys play, maybe not testing guys who are asymptomatic and not trying to ferret out every case, but, you know, just maybe testing guys and and sidelining guys who test, you know, show symptoms and are actively testing positive. And it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I, I know people will have different opinions, some strong on them. You know, from my view, I think the league should not be held to any higher standard than any other business in the states that it operates. You know, the league has had much, much stricter testing and policies than any other business. And the fact that they might move from a more restrictive to less restrictive thing, I don't think there's any reason to be up in arms about that. You know, the fact that they're still probably more restrictive than your local Walmart or my kids' public schools where they just stopped even sending emails home when someone tests positive for COVID because it happened so much that they now only notify you if you have a close contact case. You know, NBA players in a workplace environment are not interacting with fans. So I just I just don't think that this is like one of those areas that is exceptional public safety and needs exceptional scrutiny. You know, the league did this initially because the league wanted to keep going. And they thought if we could stay ahead of this and with vaccination, things probably wouldn't spread so quickly. And I think what they've probably seen is, from my view, most players have the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. 
I think a lot of players probably didn't get boosters. And because of that, you know, you're seeing a lot of breakthrough infections. You might see them anyway. I mean, we're seeing breakthrough infections anyway, but I think the amount you're seeing is probably due to those two things. Again, those are just guesses, kind of reading between the lines from some things that I know from inside sources and some that I've just heard from public sources. So with that being said, what the league thought is like, if everyone is vaccinated, you know, we probably won't see much spread through guys as long as we catch it early. And what they've now seen is like, this is spreading like crazy anyway, but no one is really getting sick. And so now we're sidelining players that aren't sick to try and stop it from spreading, but we're not actually stopping it from spreading. And so what are we actually doing here? And they're moving now towards the thing of like, well, if guys aren't sick and it's going to spread anyway, you know, maybe we just don't need to worry about it. So my stance on this is really as long as the players in the league agree with what they're doing and the players don't feel like I'm at risk. And from what I can tell, listening to all the players, most of them seem to think like it's ridiculous when they're sitting out with asymptomatic cases rather than, oh, yeah, this makes total sense. Like the players don't generally seem to be for more testing. So I think they'll probably be on the same page with the league. And as long as that's the case, I think it's fine. Now, if the players are like, this is ridiculous, how could you possibly put us out there in this situation? Then I think you have a little different thing. And of course, the problem is it's 500 players and there'll probably be some that feel one way and some that feel another way. And so they're not all thinking the same thing. And so that also, you know, is one of those things you have to consider. But I don't think the league should be held to any higher standard than any other business or my public schools. And it is, in fact, even with these relaxed standards would be radically more uh, higher standard than those places that, you know, I have to interact with on a daily basis or, you know, people in my family have to interact with on a daily basis. And so I don't feel like too strongly. I, I know they've gotten maybe some criticism from, from, from that and from not protecting the players. Like, I just, just don't think that they need to be held to a higher legal standard than everyone else. This is not, not like people who are at, at high risk either. So that's just my general view. Political now comments will end. So hopefully that's good. Uh, I now want to talk a little bit about how management views mistakes and how they react to mistakes and how they adjust uh, mistakes. And so for this, I'm going to talk about Marko Simonovic. So Simonovic is a mistake. And it's not a mistake I care about. I don't point this out to be like, oh, AK and ME, they're terrible. Eversley, Karnaschovas, these guys are awful. No, no, no. They, they took a draft and stash player in a year where they didn't have a roster spot to take another player. They basically had to take a draft and stash guy. They took maybe the guy they thought was best on, on the board and maybe had some chance of doing something. They maybe compounded this mistake to signing him to a three-year deal, third-year non-guaranteed. So it's on the hook for two years at the minimum. And it's the rookie and second-year minimum, which is less than the normal league minimum. So the total financial consequences of this are relevant. If you really want to pick out one thing or two things, you could say they probably didn't have to bring him over at all, like looking at what he had done. And they probably should have given Io that third year instead of Simonovic. But again, these are minor things in the grand scheme of things. But what I do think is interesting is to see, like, do they double down on this mistake? Do they try to keep Simonovic for three years? Do they, like, just acknowledge, like, wow, this isn't working? Because clearly this guy, even when everyone is in health and safety protocols, they, they're not, like, trotting him out there. <laughs> like, they just, he's just not ready. You saw it. Like, in 30 seconds in Summer League, even though he was putting up good numbers, I just was like, man, this guy does not look like an NBA player. He just doesn't look like an NBA player. No way can he play center, and no way can he play, like, any other, because of his size, and no way can he play anywhere else because of his speed. And he doesn't have any, like, elite skills. Like, he's an okay shooter, but, like, there's, there's, I'd rather just play a 6'4 guard that can shoot threes than, than play him. So... 
unless he develops some elite skill, which is always a possibility, but pretty unlikely he's just not an NBA player. And so it'll be interesting to see, do they cut bait with him? Do they look to move him at the deadline, included in some other package if they make some type of trade just to get him off the books next year? Or do they try and, and, and keep him? And moving on from Simonovic, I think the same is true with Patrick Williams to a degree. We don't know yet if Patrick Williams is a mistake. And again, I'm not blasting them for taking Patrick Williams. I didn't like the pick at the time it was made, but I didn't hate it because this was a draft where there was no clear number four pick and we had the number four pick and it was viewed as a three deep draft. And there was like seven guys that you could have potentially picked at number four. And so the fact that you picked one over the other, like, I just don't, I just can't like get up in arms about it. Like, yeah, I don't think Patrick Williams is going to end up being the right choice there, but I just can't get up in arms about it either. I mean, this was a difficult draft to gauge and it just is that way. Like sometimes it's just very hard. And that, that is just one of those cases. It's like, if you pick number one in a year where there's no remotely clear number one, like the Anthony Bennett draft or something, it's actually like a terrible place to pick because you got like seven guys that are like roughly equal and you get to choose you know, which one of the seven, but you know, you'd almost rather just pick ninth and just get stuck with someone else. Who's basically, they're all about equal. And now though, you're like, you're spending less money on the guy with his contract. And no one really cares if you pick ninth and took a bust compared to if you pick four and pick a bust, but your odds of getting a good player are roughly the same. Like it's actually much better to have to pick later. And that's why there's no interest in trading up for that pick. So I don't mind if Patrick Williams doesn't turn out and he still might, he still might turn out, but how quickly they're willing to adapt if he doesn't play well and doesn't turn out well, how quickly they would be willing to move on. And so one of these things, and I work in management, one of these things is when you come into a new place as a manager, it's really easy to evaluate what's going on and say, this isn't working, this isn't working, and then fix it and change it. And whether that means subbing out people who, you know, aren't performing well or aren't doing what you need them to do or aren't good attitudes or whatever, or whether it means changing processes or whatever. What's really hard in management is three years later when things are now struggling for different reasons. And those reasons are of your making to look at those situations and say, I can still change these things. I think that is actually a much more uh, difficult thing to be able to do. And I think that is what is challenging. And so now Acme totally remade the roster. They cleared out all the stuff that was here from Garpax. And now we need to decide what do we do when we make mistakes? How do we fix those mistakes? And I think that is going to be what's interesting. So if Pat Williams doesn't turn out well, how quickly are they willing to cut bait on him? How, how long do they wait to see? Are they willing to, to trade one of their guys uh, when his value is at like a Wendell Carter level value? Or with their own guys, do they tend to hang on to them? I think that'll be really interesting to see. And so they've done a tremendous job, no matter how you look at it, no matter how you look at it. You know, I've criticized this Vucevic trade, and I'll talk about him a little bit, a lot. But uh, they have done a tremendous job. So what I like to say is it doesn't kind of matter if you make mistakes. Like no one is perfect as a general manager or as the EVP of basketball oceans, no one just makes all good choices. We all are going to make mistakes. These guys are all going to screw up. And so it's fine if that happens, you know, it's really though about like, how do you adjust to the mistakes that you make? How do you move on from them? And then do you make less mistakes than the next guy? You know, are you right 60% of the time and he's right 50% of the time and like over enough choices that, that ends up, you know, in your favor. And do you make the really big ones 
Uh, or do you make good choices on the really big ones? You know, if you make really big decisions, do you do well? You know, like if you're, you're more accurate on those, so those are kind of the qualities you look at. And so this will be, I think an interesting time to see what happens. Um, because we'll just, we'll just see what's out there. So I, I, I think that'll, that'll really determine a lot about how I feel about Karnaschovas and Eversley to see how they handle Patrick Williams. You know, regardless, if, if he turns out well, then obviously they'll, we'll know that they're smarter than I am. I mean, they're smarter than I am regardless. Let's, let's not be crazy. Uh, they're smarter than I am regardless. But we'll know that they, they execute the right type of patience. If they have a lot of patience and he doesn't turn out well, even though there's a lot of signs right now that he's not going to turn out well, then you will kind of see like, yeah, you weren't willing to make the same choice you did with someone like Wendell Carter with a guy you drafted. And that'll maybe be a concern somewhere down the line. But what they've done so far has been tremendous. And, you know, I think that's, that's uh, worth applauding no matter what. You know, this is the best season I've seen as a Bulls fan in, I don't know, forever, since 2004. This is my second favorite season ever as a Bulls fan. You know, and, and, and we'll assume that the Bulls you know, finish in the top four seeds when I make that statement. Now, that, you know, I don't know, maybe third, maybe behind the, the, the Eastern Conference Finals run with Derrick Rose. I just, I just enjoy this team more. I, you know, I, I love this team. So, but it, it, it's been a tremendous, tremendous season, way beyond anything I hope. So nothing, nothing I've said, even though the things I, I feel practically should be viewed necessarily as a, as a negative towards uh, our, our management. I think they've done a spectacular job. Again, it's okay that they make some mistakes. We shouldn't as fans or as people analyzing the team get caught up in this idea of like everything they touch is gold or if they go through a bad stretch, everything they touch is, is terrible. That's just not how it goes. You know, so, you know, bad GMs can still make some good moves and great GMs can still make some bad moves. And so not saying that these are some things I'm curious to see how they work out with some moves that might end up being bad. It's not a, not a view overall. So I guess maybe hopefully that was enough, enough uh, protecting myself from those who love Acme and thinks everything is great and won't get mad and come after me. Uh, so We'll see uh, how that goes. A couple trade ideas I had, you know, and Derek Rose just got injured, but Fred Pfeiffer brought up Derek Rose and you know, kind of just swapping Kobe for Rose on the last big red bus. And I thought like the fans would love it and the fans were like 50-50 on it. And I guess this injury in a lot of ways probably makes it a little bit more likely. But I was thinking about that more and more. And I'm like, yeah, if we can't find anything better, I think, I think Rose or um, Covington would be two guys that would be interesting to trade for. Like just like, not like the, the choices I would make right at, at the front of the deadline, but if we can't get anything better, those would be uh, interesting choices to make. So I would, I would uh, leave, uh, leave those out there as possibilities. And then I said, I was going to talk about Nikola Vucevic a little bit. So I want to go back and think about this a little, those last two games, I think, and I discussed this a little bit on the big red bus with Fred. These last two games, I think, with Vooch were really what Vooch can do. Like, this is the good Vooch. He's getting you around one point a shot. He's doing some things well, some things poorly. And I don't know that there's, like, significant upside to what Vooch did in the last couple of games. Both the good and the bad. I do think this is the type of player we should get on a more consistent basis, though. Like, I do think these last two games... Like, we should be able to expect this, roughly this performance, over most of the rest of the season if he's quote-unquote back. Like, I do think this is like a sustainable level of performance. But I don't think it's going to be 
dramatically better than this. And, you know, what you see is he can rebound pretty well. He can pass well. Uh, he can get you around a point of shot, you know, not really creating a lot of looks for you. Sometimes punishes teams when they, he can get them in weird positions. Like he scored three baskets on, I think it was like Tate and Gordon in the post, you know, it's like six, three and six, four guys guarding him in the post. And he was able to, uh, uh, go from there. But I just don't think he's going to give you a whole lot more than that. And when I ignore what we gave up for uh, Vucevic and I ignore the draft package, which I think is too high, but instead I look at him as a role player and say, like, he's making Lonzo Ball money. And if I compare him to Lonzo Ball, who's also like a flawed player, but doesn't have this like all-star stigma on him. And I say stigma because it's like you have all-star expectations. He doesn't have all-star expectations. You know, he's just like, so when you see Lonzo pass well and make defensive plays and shoot open threes, you're like, yeah, this guy's a player. The fact that he then has some terrible games, like, I'm like, ah, whatever, it's okay. And the fact that he can't create off the dribble, yeah, it's fine. Like, he's a role player. And when I look at Vooch as a $20 million guy who's a role player, and the guy is a guy who can shoot threes, space is a, a big man who can pass the ball you know, move really well, play that offensive hub role, make smart decisions, can defensively rebound, you know, and, and has like some other serious flaws, just like, like Lonzo Ball has some flaws. I think like, yeah, that's, that's around what you'd expect a $20 million player to do. And so if I ignore the fact that people call him an all-star and I ignore what we gave up for him, then I think I'm pretty happy with Vucevic. You know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't do the trade, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say like, oh, this guy can't, you know, he, like he's certainly worth his salary. Like he's not like a negative contract. And, uh, you know, then I think I'm, I think I'm more in a good spot with Vooch when I, when I, as soon as I just stop hearing people call him an all-star and, and stop, stop worrying about what we gave up for him and just think about how he fits with the team. You know, the passing is nice. The shooting, it was just getting closer to his career average is nice. You know, hopefully he can keep that consistently and, uh, we'll see. See how it goes. His basketball IQ is nice. I think fits into the team too. So we'll see how things trend there. And final thing for today, I still have a story time. So we celebrated Christmas early. Uh, you know, my, my kids are the product of a divorced family. My wife's uh, kids are the same. So each of them has two places they have to go for Christmas. A couple of them are dating people and then have to go to third and fourth places with the families of their significant others. And so, you know, we end up celebrating a lot of holidays and like non-holiday days because it's easier and causes less stress. Like you don't want people just trying to run from house to house and, you know, eat four different Christmas dinners or like whatever else. Like, you know, so we just try and do stuff on kind of non-traditional days, make it easy for everyone. And so uh, my daughter got me this gift and she was bragging about it. Like before she gave it to me, she's bragging about it. She's like, all like, oh, I got you a million dollar gift, she called it. And I'm like, whatever, like, what could you even give me that would be so great? Like, like there's nothing, like I'm a guy, like I, I have whatever I want. Like there's just nothing. People hate shopping for me, like they hate shopping for all guys because guys don't want anything. We don't want knickknacky stuff. Like there's just nothing, nothing good, practical things we already have. You know, you can't get us anything and stuff we know a lot about because like you, you don't know more than us about that thing. So you can't, you can't pick out that thing either. So it's just like, you're just guys, I think are notoriously difficult to shop for. We also have like low expectations. Like we don't care a whole lot either. Like I, I never look at Christmas, like, oh, I'm going to get something great. Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't matter to me either. Like I'm like, yeah, it's, it's fun. You know, exchange some gifts, have a good time. Like it, it's just not a, a critical thing to me. Uh, so 
I don't think, uh, I don't think like I ever look at something and be like, yeah, someone could, could come up with something that would just like blow me away. Like it's just, just not even possible. And so she's bragging about this. You know, she's like effectively in a basketball reference, she's like talking trash about how good a gift she got, you know, before even, even giving it to me. And I'm like, so confidence is high here. Confidence is high, but now you, you've got to back it up, right? You got to back it up. And I'm like, there's just no way this is going to happen. But, and, and, you know, she jokes around a lot too. So I'm like, I don't know, is she joking? Did, is this going to be like a, a really seriously great gift or is it just going to be like, yeah, I got you the greatest thing ever. And it's like a can of silly string or something like, like you just have no idea, you know? So so Christmas comes, I open the gift, and it is like the coolest thing ever. Coolest gift ever. I'll post some pictures of it on Twitter, but it's a coffee mug. I drink coffee. I like coffee mugs. And it is a bull-themed coffee mug, which, again, like, like nothing I've said right now, like, crosses the bar of like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, I've gotten, I actually got a bull's coffee mug last year, too. And uh, it's just like kind of like a normal bull's logo. But what this was, it was super unique. It was a diagram of Michael Jordan's last shot. And so like on the front of it, it's got kind of like all the information about the game, the date, the time left on the clock or whatever. And on the back, it has got the play diagram. It shows like where Michael Jordan travels. It shows Brian Russell, like falling to the ground and, and not being in the play it shows where everyone else is standing, shows the path of the ball and everything. It's like super, super cool. And I just thought like, man, that was just like an incredibly unique thing that I've never seen or seen anything like it. And I just thought like, that's awesome. That was just like an awesome, awesome gift. So I was like super blown away at that. The, the thoughtful nature that she even came up with it. I mean, she knows I like the bulls, but like the fact that she would come up with something so crazy unique though, uh, was like really took me by surprise. Actually, she kind of won one Christmas this year. She got my, her sister, this, uh, jewelry making kit for making earrings and, and, that, that sister loves that too. And I think she was also blown away. So she, she, she really thought it out. Yeah, I don't know. That's was, that was pretty good. So anyway, that is story time for today. Hopefully you all get just as good a gifts when you open them in a couple of days on your Christmas. If you are one who celebrates it, if not enjoy whatever holidays you may celebrate. And if you're not celebrating anything, then just have a great end of the month, you know, and celebrate New Year's. You know, you still got something, something for everyone. And uh, that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Bulls Beat. I will talk to you guys next week, hopefully with uh, my buddies, Mark and Fred uh, on the show with me.